You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Anderson. Hello, hello there. We are live today. And as you can see, I am joined by a very special guest, Haley Boyce. Haley is stepping in for Rachel today. Uh, And Haley, thank you for joining us. Rachel is actually on her honeymoon. She will no longer be Rachel Anderson. Um, But we are excited to have you today. And so Haley, Uh, I want you to introduce yourself. I've invited a special girl with graphs to join us today. So thanks. Thanks for joining us, Haley. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me. I'm very excited and I definitely am a huge fan of the podcast. So yes, Um, my name is Haley Boyce and I am a burn survivor myself. Um, And I'm also a member of the team Courage Rising. My accident happened back in 2016. I had a vaporizer malfunction and it blew up on me causing second and third degree burns on 30% of my body. And then in June, um, the team Courage Rising, we summited Kilimanjaro. Uh, The trek up Kilimanjaro was organized so that seven other survivors and myself could raise funds for the uh, new Arizona burn center um, that the team we're just like raising funds for them. So yes, it's been great. I mean, yes, the team Valley Wise did an amazing job taking care of me. And so I wanted to give back any way I could. That's awesome. And it's such a cool thing to say that you've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. So that is amazing. Uh, I know we learned a little bit about that in our journey magazine. So, you know, if if folks are interested in learning about that, they can visit our, our journey magazine, but Haley, I'm so excited that you're here today. So thanks for for your willingness to jump on board and help us out. Um, but I'm even I'm I'm just as excited, I should say, uh, to introduce our guest listeners today. You've probably heard me talk about them if you've listened to another Girls with Graphs episode. But our season one podcast sponsor Pritzker Hagman is here today. And so Haley, would you give them a brief introduction uh, or give us a brief introduction of the Pritzker Hagman team? Absolutely. So um, Eric Hagman and David Coyle are burn injury lawyers at Pritzker Hagman, a national law firm which helps burn survivors obtain justice. Eric has been a plaintiff's lawyer exclusively representing injured people for over 27 years, while David has almost 10 years of experience. Along with the other lawyers at Pritzker Hagman, David and Eric work hand in hand with their clients to pursue accountability for people who have been harmed um, through the negligence of others. I think my first question is a common question that gets asked. So I want to be able to kind of ask you guys today about, you know, that what are the most common things we talk about in the industry uh, or, or probably you've heard before is, do I have a case, right? I'm so excited that um, you're here. So let's talk about that top question and how you answer that um, to our broad audience of survivors of how do we know if I have a burn injury legal case? Uh, well, I'd be happy to answer that. And first of all, thank you for having us. And um, we are also big fans of the podcast and not just because we sponsor it. We, uh, we think <laughs> that's doing uh, great work. But um, do I have a case? That is something we hear every single day. And that's something that um, 
we're more than happy to talk to people about. Um, I think, you know, it's a very complex uh, question. And, um, you know, we start with, um, you know, looking at the cause of what happened. Of course, um, there's got to be some uh, fault that, that caused the, you know, the, the burn injuries in, um, in people. So that's, that's the starting point with, with any analysis. But, um, you know, our job, just generally speaking, when people call us is to try to be a resource and to kind of talk them through the entire legal process. And we want to be a resource uh, to the Phoenix Society and to the broader uh, burn survivor community to kind of help answer some of those questions. And I think um, just discussing legal options is something that uh, we want to try to demystify it a little bit. It should not be a scary thing to call a lawyer up and, and just talk about, um, you know, whatever questions you might have, um, you know, whether it's us or anyone else. I think talking to a lawyer to understand what the options are is a key thing. So, um, I mean, I guess this, the starting point for our analysis is almost always, um, is there an identifiable wrongdoer? Um, mm. That's that's always you know the first thing. Not every single uh, person who has suffered burn injuries has a case, and and part mm. of what we have to do sometimes is tell people that there maybe isn't um, you know a legal avenue to pursue, but certainly um, more often than people would understand, there is uh, you know something to pursue and something to talk about. Um, sometimes people feel like maybe if they had some fault in what happened that they don't have a case. And one of the things we have to talk to people about is this concept of comparative fault. Even if you have some fault for what happened, um, the comparative fault concept allows you to still pursue a claim and there may be just an offset for any fault that you might have. Another area that people sometimes think that they don't have a case is if, if it's a work injury and that they might just have a worker's compensation claim. Well, the reality is, uh, workers' compensation is only uh, limiting your claim against your employer, but if you have a third-party claim against uh, maybe a defective product or any uh, an outside vendor that was involved, those claims can still be pursued. So when we're looking at uh, people who have suffered burn injuries, there's a whole lot of different things that we look at and a lot of different things to talk about. David, would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think the only thing I would maybe add to that is a lot of times too, it's, it's unclear what exactly is the root cause of any sort of fire explosion. Um, and that's something that, you know, when, when someone calls us and tells us, we might not know the answer ourselves either. Uh, and that's something that fire investigators and other experts uh, will be sort of digging into the early facts to try to get a handle on what actually caused the fire and who's at fault. Um, and so that's something that we sort of early in a case uh, we're working hand in hand with investigators and with experts to try to determine that cause. Wonderful. Yeah. David and Eric, thanks so much. That was very informative. Um, I do have another question myself. Uh, what is the very first thing somebody should do if they are filing a claim? Well, uh, before we even get to the, the process of filing a claim, I think it's, you know, some of the things we just talked about is evaluating um, you know, what does that mean? And, and, and is there a case there? Um, in terms of, you know, filing a claim, generally speaking, we're talking about filing a, a lawsuit. And that may be something that comes much later on down the road. The, the first part of our interaction with our clients, in addition to just 
listening to our clients, understanding our clients' concerns, answering their questions is, you know, kind of an investigative phase where we're investigating the case before we file a lawsuit. We're not going to just run off and file a lawsuit first thing. Right. Generally speaking, we're going to kind of um, uh, fully understand the basis for the case and the basis for liability before we're going to file that lawsuit. Um, but, but obviously some of the things we just talked about in terms of working with experts and, um, and uh, understanding the case before pursuing it out. Eric, I think you said something really important because I think, um, earlier you mentioned like, it can be very scary, right. To sometimes call a lawyer or to think of like, I, I see in like in my experience, that seems like a scary thing to me to have to deal with a lawyer or court cases. And I think some of it has to do with like the media and all of the attention that you see on these documentaries on Netflix and things like that. So um, let, can you tell me a little bit about like, like you guys are real people, right? You are your actual people that are, um, you know, out there in the world working. And, and, and so um, what would you say to someone who's maybe hesitant or scared to give you guys a call? Um, you know, what, what does that process look like? What can I expect when I, when I pick the phone and give you a call? David, you want to take that one? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, when someone calls our firm, they're going to get to talk to an attorney. Uh, an attorney will just sort of ask the questions to learn more about the underlying facts to help us determine whether or not there's a case there or what more we need to learn to determine that. Um, with our firm, and, and really, I think with most personal injury firms, uh, they're not going to sort of charge you an upfront fee. Uh, we don't work on an hourly basis. Uh, so there's no sort of cost financially to someone to call and we're on their side. I mean, even if we don't end up taking the case, it's not like our goal is to somehow sabotage their case or make things more difficult or costly for them. Our goal is to help them get to the bottom uh, of what happened. So, you know, we're there to kind of hold their hand through uh, a process that sometimes can be somewhat scary if you're going it alone. I mean, we're there to kind of provide the questions, provide the resources to kind of put people's mind at ease uh, as they're going through something like this. And, and talking to people and answering their questions is a really huge part of what we do. Um, right. There are many, many, many people we talk to uh, in any given day who um, we may not take their case, but we're just kind of acting as a resource, just like the Phoenix Society is a resource for people mm-hmm. um, who are burn survivors. Uh, we're the same way. People call us up and they ask us questions about um, an incident that happened that caused them uh, injuries or harm. And, and we're happy to talk them through that and, and answer questions they have, whether they have a case or not. It's just, it's just kind of what we do. So that's wonderful. So and, um, one, of the, one of the things that I think I hear sometimes or I've heard is I'm thinking about getting a case, right? I'm considering it. And then um maybe I post something on social media or is, are there certain, and I've heard that maybe posting on social media isn't a good idea. What are some of the things that if they're considering a case before you think about posting the incident on social media or, or doing something with the media about it, what are things that you shouldn't do if you're considering um, filing a case or maybe even just giving you guys a call? What do you recommend doing or not doing um, before kind of going about or down that path? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit wary about um, telling people what they should or shouldn't do when it comes to their own injuries and harm. And it's, it's kind of everyone has to walk their own 
path and be on their own journey in that regard. But I, I would say, generally speaking, um, you know, the things you hear, uh, as you mentioned on, on TV shows or elsewhere, I mean, uh, don't talk to the other side without talking to a lawyer first, because anything you say can and will be used against you. And when we talk about the other side, a lot of times what we're talking about in, in this context, at least with what we do, is maybe just an insurance company. And if the insurance company um, for whoever, whether it's a, you know, the gas company or the electric company, whoever it is that may have been at fault for what happened, um, wants to call you up and uh, get a statement from you, you probably should be talking to a lawyer beforehand. And not because, you know, uh, anything is concerning from a criminal perspective, but just uh, any statement you might make about the nature of your injuries, uh, they'll try to use that against you. Um, or about what happened in the fire or your own actions or anything else. And um, I think it's just important to understand that and that the um, the flow of information a lot of times to the other side in a case, a lot of times it's better if it goes through an attorney. Great, that's wonderful. Um, and also going back a little bit when you guys um, were just mentioning about survivors calling in and wanting to um, ask questions and you guys seem very comforting and welcoming to speak with, um, what are some of the questions that a survivor might ask their potential lawyer uh, when they're considering using for a birth injury case? There's probably a whole host of, of questions. I mean, one that we get uh, is sometimes just who should I talk to and who should I not talk to? I mean, kind of just off the last question of uh, giving statements to insurance reps. Uh, a lot of times at the beginning of, of a case, you might be getting a call from uh, the insurance rep for the likely defendant from various state entities that are investigating the fire from your own homeowner's policy, potentially. Um, and so we, that's one thing that people are asking is, who should I talk to? Who should I not talk to? Um, and how that process plays out. Um, another question that we sometimes get is, is sort of, what is, is it worth it? Um, and I think that's sort of a question of, you know, first we need to determine if there's a, a case there. Um, and then if there is sort of, here's what it entails going forward with, with the claim. Um, I guess another question might be, what is the case worth in terms of what sort of, you know, at the end of the day is mm -hmm. there, someone's trying to decide whether or not they want to go through this, uh, is it worth it given what the case may be worth? And that's a question that's, it's probably hard to answer up front just because you need mm -hmm. to know a whole host of facts. Uh, and really get into the case before you can have a good idea as to what a, a case may be worth. Definitely. So those are those are some of the, I, I think, common questions. But I'm sure, Eric, maybe there's other ones that I'm missing. Well, I think one of the things that maybe you were getting at with your question is just trying to, um, how do people identify who is a, the right lawyer evaluate. for them? Yeah. And evaluate that. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, a lawyer-client relationship, just like any relationship, is one that you just, um, there needs to be a comfort level uh, with, the, with the lawyer that you're hiring. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're hiring a lawyer, you may not realize it at the outset, but sometimes you're kind of starting a, um, it's like starting a relationship. I mean, we have many clients that we've been working with um, for long periods of time. Now, not every case goes on for several years, but um, even even a, uh, a short and successful case might last for you know six to nine months, and there's plenty of cases where we're involved with our clients for you know two to three years or more. Mm -hmm. And um, during that time, we'll have lots of you know phone calls and 
will be texting each other and emailing each other and meeting with each other and all of those things. And so obviously mm -hmm. you need to feel comfortable with that lawyer and it has to be someone mm -hmm. that, um, that you trust and um, that, that, you know, you, you, you're kind of putting your fate in their hands. And so mm -hmm. um, we work uh, at the outset to just try to get to know our clients and understand um, what their goals are and, and, and um, what they've been through. That's kind of one of the, the most important things, because when we meet our clients, uh, particularly in, in burn injury cases, it's oftentimes at some of the worst moments of their life at one of the lowest points where they're kind of going through some real difficult times. And we need to just kind of be there um, to support them and to encourage them and to also let them know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We've seen this mm -hmm. you know, time and time again, where clients come to us or we come to them oftentimes and meet them in the hospital or, you know, it kind of um, oh, wow. when they're, when they're having some real difficult times and then, um, are able to see over the period of, you know, a couple of years, sometimes uh, the, the amount of progress that, that, that our clients have made. And so, you know, being able to kind of tell new clients that, you know, this, this will get better, you will get through this um, and it's going to be okay. is something that we, we try to instill in our clients and let them know just to give them that confidence that we'll, we'll be there for them every step of the way. I think it's really interesting that you even just hearing you say I visit in the hospital, right? So you have a good understanding of a survivor, but I know from my own experience as a survivor, there are a lot of people out there that don't right have a good understanding of what a survivor goes through or understands. So I think, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think asking the question of have you dealt with another case with a burn survivor before is an, a really important question, correct? <laughs> yes, you know, absolutely. I think, I mean, I just in general, I think it's a really good idea to, to uh, hire a lawyer in whatever area uh, of law you're going into, a lawyer that has experience in that area. And certainly in these kind of cases, fire and explosion cases, there are a lot of very um, kind of highly specialized things to know, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, fire codes and ordinances or various regulations and industry standards that apply. Um, mm. There's lots of different things that, um, you know, if you, if you deal with this area um, are just second nature to you. Right. And, and we, cause we deal with them all the time, but um, other lawyers might not, not be aware of those things. And so, yes, obviously um, having a familiarity with the subject area is a key thing. Yeah. I think that's really important. Cause I think for me, right. Um, I think about what my process I go through in my head when I look for somebody in a specialized area, whether it's plumbing for my house or, or if, if it's, um, you know, any other cho like choosing an another doctor, right. I want to make sure that the person that I'm talking to has a clear understanding of, of what I'm expecting, but also like knows what they're doing. Right. And so I think that's great. Is there a specific place where I need to do like when I'm looking at, you know, checking verification of you are who you say you are and whatnot. Is there a location for lawyers to be able or for us to look up where like this is a lawyer that has a certain rating or something? Is there a location? Obviously, I can look at you in Google, right? But um, what would you recommend for somebody who wants to just make sure they have accreditations or things that that, that they need? Good question, because there's a lot of those things out there, a lot of different accreditation sources for lawyers. Um, you know, there's different ratings that they have. They have, um, there's an organization called Martindale Hubble that has ratings and it's, you know, AV or BV, and CV. Um, 
obviously there's, you know, Avo has ratings. There's, there's, <laughs> there's different online reviews and right. um, it's, you know, I guess I would, I would encourage people to try to use all of those different things, um, whatever is out there. Um, nowadays, I mean, I'm, I'm no different than anyone else, but I'm trying to hire somebody. I try to do as much background sure. uh, research and investigation. What, what can I find online? And I think that's a valuable thing. And you should do that with lawyers too. And, and do that with us. When, if someone wants to hire us, you know, dig deep, see what we, um, what's out there. That's awesome. And you said something really Great. powerful earlier, I think with this of like, how long it may take for a case, right? And so if I'm evaluating whether or not I should take a case or, or, or have a case, David, I think as a survivor, we think about like, I always wanted to know what to expect next, right? Or what's coming or how long. And so the fear of the unknown is a big thing. I think that resonates with survivors of like, oh my gosh, what am I going to expect? So when you mentioned earlier, like you have to think about how long a case could take, is there a, is there a timeline on this or is it something that really is kind of like up in the air? There's probably not a kind of a one size fits all kind of uh, standard answer to that, just because a case can be uh, a case involving 10 parties and lengthy litigation um, and injuries where someone's continuing to treat for for years, potentially. And so a case like that obviously is probably not going to be resolved in six to nine months. But then there's other cases where someone maybe already is done treating um, for their injuries and is a kind of a simple case um, involving just one other party. And maybe that is something that can get resolved in six to nine months. Not every case has to be sued out either. I mean, so when people come to us, um, it's probably rare that we, you know, immediately upon talking to them, immediately throw it into a lawsuit and begin the litigation process. Before we would do that, you know, we would prepare the client for kind of what that entails so that they have an idea, at least from the, the outset, when we're actually putting a case into litigation, if that's the route it goes, that they have an idea there in terms of what the steps might be and, and maybe a general sense of at that point, we're putting a case in suit, we probably have a better idea of is this going to be something that might be six to nine months or is it something that's going to be more like a year to, to two years? And Great. following up on one thing that David mentioned there, um, you know, in terms of uh, how long something's going to take, the, the client's own uh, damages and, and, and kind of what they're going through is going to be a real big factor in dictating how long something might take. I mean, we would be doing an extreme disservice to our clients if we, uh, try to resolve a claim while the client is still treating and is still when, when the future maybe is still kind of unknown. I mean, if there's going to be future surgeries or other, or other things um, that's all part of what the claim is going to entail. So until we have a clear handle on what our client's future needs might be um, it would be really inadvisable to even try to uh, resolve that claim. We, and when we do that, we're going to, get input from their uh, treating doctors and others. What does the future look like? What are the things that may be involved in kind of future care? And when we talk about future care, we talk about for the rest of their lives. If someone has a lifespan that's 50 more years, we need to know 50 years from now, are there gonna be special uh, treatments or things? Even things as small as like ointments or creams or things that might be needed, not just tomorrow, not just next year, but 50 years from now, because that is part of what the claim is. And that's, 
when we're when we're representing people, we need to make sure we're factoring in all of the future harm that they're going to suffer that's attributable to the incident that caused them the harm. Absolutely. And um, when what would you advise somebody um, to do to prepare for all like going on with the case and going through that? Try not to think about it too much. <laughs> One of the things okay. that we try to tell our imagine that is, gets to yeah. be a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Particularly mm -hmm. in litigation. I mean, I'm just to be perfectly honest, litigation is not, you know, it's not for everyone. And it's not something that everyone uh, feels all that comfortable with because it can be stressful you, and there's uncertainty and particularly things where, you know, we're progressing toward a jury trial. That's a scary concept for people, putting mm -hmm. your faith in the hands of a bunch of strangers. And so what we really want our clients to do is just focus on the healing, focus on the recovery, focus on getting on with their lives. Our job is to deal with all the things to worry about, all the stress mm -hmm. of the case. We want to take that off your plate, put it on our plate. We'll deal with all of that. You you just focus on your living your life, and mm. you know we'll we're here to help and we're here to guide you through that. But um, I, you know the stress of of lawsuits and claims can can be hard on people. No doubt about I'd it. I'd imagine. I'd imagine, and I'm sure I'm sure you see that almost every day, right? Of of. Uh, do is it something that I'm I could potentially win this case and and I'm sure that in right. and of itself is something that I would go back and forth about I think in my own head having having to to do something like that so I can imagine that that can take a toll on someone absolutely <laughs> so and you talked a little bit about I think like the financials of like how much right could I get but I I think it was interesting and I'd like you to spend more time on this Eric, Eric or David um you said like the lifetime because i you know i don't even think it occurred to me until i i was injured of like the lifelong effects of what a burn injury could be right so if i'm injured and i can't work anymore or i'm injured like we forget that those things may exist out there and so there's more than just like a financial like number right it could be like what are some of the damages right to having a to having a burn injury. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, of like how you evaluate that at large? Uh, David, you want to start with that one? Yeah. So I think Eric mentioned a big part of that is talking to the treating doctors to get an idea of what they're recommending. Uh, and then often we use, if someone is going to have future care, uh, talking to a life care planner, which is someone who, who looks at that treatment and um, then puts together a projection for all those things that someone may need, whether it's uh, someone to help take care of them at home, to ointments and creams, to various continued medical treatments. Um, that's sort of a, a life care planner is sort of an expert that has that, that expertise in that area of what are all the ongoing kind of future costs. Um, so that's sort of that. That and talking to the treating doctors is kind of the uh, big way in which we're able to sort of estimate that piece. Then sometimes, too, there's wage loss. If someone can't return to work or has missed work, um, obviously getting the employment records necessary to kind of get our wrap our heads around what that's going to look like. And then sometimes working with um, an expert in that area too, a vocational expert to estimate what their um wage shortfall is going to be for for their lifetime because of their injury 
and just to uh, you know put it in the, the legal terms, generally speaking, there are there are six categories of damages that people are entitled to as part of a, a lawsuit. Those mm-hmm. uh, categories are <clears throat> medical bills that have been incurred in the past and medical bills that are reasonably likely to be incurred in the future, wage loss in the past, wage loss or economic loss in the future, and then, of course, pain and suffering in the past and pain and suffering in the future. So we, we kind of look at it in those six categories of damages. Generally speaking, you know, the, the medical part of it is what a lot of people focus on, and that's kind of a driver of the case. Um, but, the, you know, the pain and suffering component of it, it is obviously the hardest to quantify and is generally speaking something that we really need to understand um, our client and understand what they've gone through and what they will be continuing to go through into the future to be able to present that. Because that's our job is to, you know, to be the spokesperson, the mouthpiece, to present the harm that they have suffered. And, um, you know, it's something we take very seriously and we try to get as much input as we can from as many different people, including doctors and experts and um you know, David mentioned vocational rehab experts. All of those people are all part of a team that we put together to help present the harm that our clients have suffered. That's amazing because I don't think I realized at large what like a big span of of resources, even just you guys had at your fingertips, right, of understanding what is the full comprehensive list of things that could potentially to make sure that you're supporting that person long term. think like mm-hmm. having somebody like that available is is very helpful, um, especially when you're in a time. I know for me, I was in a very, you know, I didn't have a, a case, but but I was in a very delicate area of my life where I um, having to think about long term or even short term is very overwhelming. So to have a team that is already actively doing that is, is a really cool thing. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Go ahead. And um, could you tell us uh, what are some of the factors affecting the value of what the case might be? So I think, yeah, I think you answered some of those, but do you go above that medical, I think, right? Like all of those things you just talked about, is there an above, you you asked for what, so how do you evaluate that? Yeah, well, so um, each case is unique and each person's uh, damages and harm is unique. And so it's not like something where we can take what the medical bills are and what the wage loss is and then punch it into a computer and then it spits out the number for a case. There's so many factors to consider. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the age of the person is, is a big part of it. If someone is burned at a very young age and they're going to have a lifetime ahead of them, it's different than someone who's older. So there's, you know, just basic factors like that. But, but obviously, um, you know, the, the strength of the of the claim, the kind of the liability claim, um, how egregious was the wrong that caused this to happen, is a big mm-hmm. big factor, and it's kind of an underrated factor, and it's something we focus on quite a bit in the work that we do. Um, obviously, we we want to do everything we possibly can to present our clients' damages, but we also are trying to. Uh, do as much as we can on the liability side of the case, because if we can show that what happened simply should not have happened and did, didn't have to happen, um, that's the kind of thing that can provoke anger you know, in a jury that would be hearing the case. And of course, when we're evaluating a case and evaluating case value, what we're really doing is saying, what would a jury do if they had this case? If a jury was presented with these facts, 
what kind of damages might they award? And so obviously we're all guessing because we don't know, mm -hmm. but we, we use past experience as a guide. And so we look at other cases and results that we've obtained in other cases and use that to help guide case value. But really, um, if you have a case where uh, there are some really egregious facts, you know, that the, the gas company did something terrible that, that, that led to this explosion that simply should never have happened, um, that's going to make a case exponentially more valuable because uh, a jury would be really angry if they heard that. Mm. And so would you say that your your cases go to jury? Would you say that, like, because I think that could probably be something that would be scary for me is I don't want to stand up in front of a bunch of people and have to tell right. my story again. Yeah. Can we talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, so we are, you know, trial lawyers, we prepare every single case as if it's going to go to trial. But by doing that, most of the time, we ensure that they don't go to trial. Um, <laughs> um, the more you do and the harder you push on a case, uh, the more likely it is that case is going to resolve short of trial. And the statistics would say that, you know, well over 90% of cases settle before trial. And that's certainly true, even with our practice. Um, really good, strong cases don't often go to trial because um, the, the other side simply can't afford to have that happen most of the time. Um, mm -hmm. And the cases that do go to trial are ones where there's a real question about liability or that, that you know, there's kind of unclear who might be at fault. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that is absolutely something our clients are concerned about. They don't, you know, they don't oftentimes don't want to go to trial for the, some of the reasons you mentioned, but um, we have to prepare the case to go to trial for it to settle short of trial. Fair. That's really That's important. I think yeah. to kind of follow up on that too, I mean, the, the client's in the driver's seat. So our job is to prepare them and to kind of take the stress of trial off of them. Uh, but ultimately, if, if they're wanting to settle, um, we can't force them to go to trial. I mean, we're just there to give them what their options are. And if someone, for whatever reason, uh, would like to take whatever maybe settlements on the table instead of proceeding on to that final step of trial, they're in the driver's seat. So we're just there to advise them so that they can make informed decisions. That's great. Well, we have a couple of questions coming in. And so I'm going to pop in between some questions here. The first one, I'm not sure I fully understand this. Maybe um, Eric or uh, anyone else on the team, David, maybe you want to, do you understand what the person is asking here? Um, I assume that that disability rating is something that perhaps is in the work comp setting. Um, that's typically where those come into play. That wouldn't be something that would be applicable in, in a civil lawsuit, but obviously there's been some agency rating of, uh, of a disability. Um, in a you know, civil lawsuit setting, um, you know, we wouldn't be bound by any of those sorts of things, disability ratings. Um, uh, our job is to present the harm and present the, the, the total picture of the harm someone has suffered. And so disability ratings would wouldn't really come into play on what we're doing. Now, um, I think the person also sparked a question for me is like the percentage of burn, does that matter in, in the cases? If more percentage of burn, if I'm, you know, 90% burn versus 60% burn, is that something that would matter in, in a case? Um, I think that brings up a really good point there. Yeah, I think it just kind of goes to the different pools uh, of damages that Eric elaborated on in terms of, you know, 
past and future pain and suffering, past and future medical, mm-hmm. past and future wage loss. So to the degree that the larger the burn means more medical treatment um, and a longer time and a more intense time with pain and suffering, that obviously is going to you know further increase uh, one's damages. So yeah, usually uh, the greater the burn, sort of the more someone's been been damaged. Very informative. Okay, I understand that. That's great to elaborate on. And let's see. So we have another question that's coming in. Um, I'm wondering about a fault car accident. Where's one's vehicle caught on fire in the engine compartment and then sped to the cab of the vehicle? In a case like that? Um, it, it's kind of a hybrid type of case. It's you know partly implicating automobile insurance. Obviously, um, if there was also a you know defect in the vehicle that that led to that fire, that would be kind of an additional element of the uh, of a damages claim that you could bring. Um, but otherwise, if there was adequate insurance with regard to the, the automobile accident, then that would be the kind of the primary source to look at in that. And that the, obviously if there was burn injuries that were suffered as a result of an automobile accident, that would be part of the, the, the auto claim. But, but we would look at anything and everything. Certainly the, you know, the entirety of the, of the situation is gonna be part of our analysis. If there's a, an additional element to that case in, in, with regard to the file, fire, we'd look at that too. We're getting a lot of questions, um, you know, a varying questions, and I'm sure this is something that you guys handle a lot. Um, it looks like we've got another one, and I think um, our team can help with answering this, but um, I think asking about when it's a case of discrimination. I think um, just talking about what discrimination, um, do, you, do you handle these types? I know personal injury is, is one we've talked a lot about, but what about areas of, of discrimination? So we don't really handle discrimination cases. Um, I mean, I'm familiar with the law in that area. It's not something that we deal with here, um, but this is the kind of question we get all the time. And mm-hmm. part of what we do is not just um, uh, take cases, but try to find people, find the right lawyers, help people mm-hmm. find the right lawyers. And um, for something like this, I mean, I guess I would suggest, you know, we could help find a lawyer for someone like that, but um, you know, Finding someone who specializes in discrimination claims is is obviously what you'd want for, for something like that. That's super helpful. And I think, um, you know, the person's telling here that, you know, feeling depressed and, and alone, um, Phoenix Society is also here to help. So um, as partners with our Pritzker-Hagman team, if um, there's emotional support resources that we can provide, um, we are happy to do that. So I recommend you contact us, John, and, and we're happy to, to, to help get you connected as well. Absolutely. So I know, I, you know, I touched a little bit on the emotional side of a case. And I think that's something that I would love to spend a few moments on of like knowing we've talked a lot about like, what about this and what about this? But I think at large as a survivor, I think about the emotional impact that something like that might have on me. Um, mm-hmm. When you're going into it, uh, let's just set the stage for, for what a survivor can expect, right? Of like emotionally with this type of, of case, it could potentially be a longer time, right, of, of managing this type of thing. Um, what would your recommendation, obviously, there's mental health resources available, um, Eric and David, but um, do you set those expectations early on so that person knows kind of what they what they have to expect? 
I think we try to certainly, I mean, in terms of the, you know, that we already talked about the, the timeline issue in a case and, and how we don't always know right at the outset, but what we, you know, pride ourselves on and we try to do as much as possible is communicate with our clients what's going on and try to um, help them um, adjust expectations as we move forward. I mean, it, it, you know, at the outset of a case, we might not know how long it's going to take, but at some point we will because we'll have a better understanding after dealing with the the other side. Are they kind of digging in? Are they going to raise these defenses? Are they going to fight this to the hilt? Or are we talking about, well, maybe it's a case where they want to go to mediation early on. And um, maybe we don't even have to file a lawsuit because they're interested in early settlement talks. And those are all things that, I mean, obviously clients are very uh, anxious about all of those things and try to you know, just communication is the key. I mean, in, in anything, but obviously in the in the legal world too, with our clients, the more we can communicate with them, understand the concerns they have, understand, um, you know, whatever what the stressors are that they um, are dealing with. Uh, that's the only way we can help with those things if we talk to them about that and try to understand how we can help. And just let them know too that they're never going to be alone. There's nothing, you know, even if you're going the litigation route. There's never going to be something where where they're sort of alone and they're being peppered with questions and we're not there. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, a, a deposition, which is probably the most active role that a client would have short of trial. You know, we're there for them, prepping them ahead of time um, and then mm-hmm. also during the mediation being right at their side. So I think that's part of it, too, is just letting them know, you know, we're always there to, to talk through any any question they may have to sort of help lessen. Uh, whatever stressors they may have with with any part of the claim going forward. We're there to support them, but also, yeah, we want to empower them too. I mean, it's their case. It's not our case. It's their case. And and we're we're here to do whatever they want. That's um, that's our job as their lawyer. We don't just rush off and file a lawsuit. They they tell us that that's what they want to do. You know, so um, we're, we're here to run interference for them, to protect them, to help them, to support them and, and to empower them. And I know you can't directly talk about a case, but I, w- I would love to know like what types of cases bond or personal injury, right? So um, I think we know, right, like what personal injury obviously is, but what are some of the scenarios that you find or what are some of the most common forms of, of personal injury cases that you guys take? So we do all manner of personal injury, really, um, you know, any anyone who has suffered an injury in any way that is, you know, someone else's fault um, or, or arguably that's certainly something we'd be interested in talking to them about but for what we're here for today um, we, we you know fire and explosion cases and that's a big big part of our practice it's not the only part of our practice we also do you know cases in other areas as well but um, when it comes to fire and explosion cases whether it could be a, you know a defective product that caused a fire Oftentimes, you know, in, in explosion cases, it can be against a, uh, a gas company, a pipeline company. Um, oftentimes, it could be just, you know, a residential fire or an apartment fire. It can be related to uh, faulty uh, alarms or faulty smoke detectors or the absence of smoke detectors or things like that. Um, there's, there's all kinds of different ways that there could be a claim. And, and you know, so often people contact us that have been maybe injured in a fire and then you know they have no idea that the claim is going to go the way it goes um we we have one now that has to do with the uh the 
alarms were not loud enough to wake up sleeping residents. And you know, mm -hmm. who would have known when that case first came in that that's the way it was going to go. Um, so it's something that you know we need to dig into it uh, and, and get to the bottom of it and find out. Get to the root of it, yeah. Oh. Well, I think we have another question. Uh, so um, this seems to be one that I think you guys can probably answer. Yes, let's see. Is So Shirley says, is there any legal advice on childburn survivors who are disabled but not put on full disability um, as a child and now as an adult unable to work? Is, ISS the, is SSI the only route? There's no way to reactively put on SSDI. Any answers for Shirley's question? Well, I guess for something like that, um... I, I would suggest talking to a lawyer, talking um, maybe maybe to us um, or or someone who specializes in social security disability claims. And there are lawyers who do that. Again, this is not exactly what we do. Um, this sounds like it's dealing with social security disability, which is its own kind of unique um, subset. Um, but I think it's something you'd want to talk to a lawyer, um, understand what the options are, and um, I mean, if they wanted to contact us, we could we could see what we could do to help, and if not, put them in touch with someone who can help them. I think that's great. And while we're on that topic um, of how to contact you, um, because a lot of the questions you've answered today, it looks like we are getting some that do want to connect with you. Um, so I'm going to put the banner on the screen, but what is the best way to get a hold of your team? So I know we have that legal journey guide, but um, yeah, how can we connect with you? Any and all ways, uh, phone, text, email, um, whatever it might be. Um, uh, David, I don't know. Do you have the numbers handy if they wanted to call us? <laughs> I always just, I should, but I always just go to the uh, trusty internet to pull up what our firm's uh, law firm's number is. And uh, you are on social media as well. So I'm sure they can contact you through social media. And with all of the phone numbers that are available, we will put those in the chat and in the show nights after the fact. I do also want to touch on uh, while we're grabbing this phone number is the ebook that you wrote for us. So um, we do have it on our new resource marketplace. Um, and so you can visit it on our website. But um, I think that ebook is kind of a compilation of everything we really talked about today um, of kind of the, the burning and I say burning question, but I know that that has dual meaning here, right? But the like, do I have mm -hmm. a case? Um, so you know, that, that ebook helps answer some of those questions. But if someone does have that question, I think just picking up the phone, it sounds like, and giving you guys a call is the best, best route to go on. Am I, am I wrong in saying that David or Eric? You're hundred percent right. Yep. Yeah. And I think call, happy to talk to anybody and talk through what the issues are. We're here to yeah. Help. And I think that in terms of, it seems like, you know, asking and it, being able to just pick up the phone and call a lawyer, whether it's you or, or, or another lawyer, um, that sounds like that's something is uh, you guys have a pretty open door policy. Am, am I mm -hmm. wrong in we assuming do. that, that like, like you get lots of calls like this all the time? We do. And we're happy to talk to people. It's, uh, it's something we do uh, every day. And so give us a call if you have questions and we're happy to answer them. That's awesome. Well, Eric and David, do you have any questions for Haley and I, I guess, as burn survivors today? So we're going to flip the tables a little bit here of um, anything you want to know from a burn survivor. Haley and I are both here and, and 
and ready to, to take any questions that lawyers might have for us. So uh, anything today, I know I'm putting you on the spot that you have for Haley or I. I just want to know about how to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. That sounds like <laughs> something that I want to do. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was <laughs> extremely intimidating. Um, <clears throat> taking it day by day, lots of training. Um, we had like two years of training, so that was very like in our advantage for sure. Um, it got pushed back due to COVID, so that just gave us more time to train and yeah, so it was just intimidating, and I think a lot, like, on the mountain, a lot of people don't realize it has, like, you can prepare and prepare and prepare, but a lot of it comes down to, like, your pulse ox. So, like, if that's just not testing at the rate that it's supposed to be, then you have to be sent down with no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so that's mentally super hard on someone that's been just training and, always, you know, you're already days into this hike, say you're, like, a day before summit, like, that's hard, so... I think oh. that's the toughest thing is regardless of how well you're feeling, like if your pulse ox aren't reading, then it's so it was well, tough. It sounds but amazing. I recommended to everyone that can get the opportunity to go out there. It was the most memorable, best trip of my whole life. So I'm very thankful for it. How did you guys set up camp? Like what did camp look? Cause I know it was a multi-day thing, obviously. How, what does camp look like? Yes. So I honestly just can't give enough gratitude uh, to the porters on the mountain. We had like 186 porters who helped us with all of our gear, our stuff, our, the dining room tent table, the chairs, the tents. They brought up everything on the mountain for us. They would leave the campground, you know, after us. They would have to pack up the tents and then get to the next campsite and have it all ready before we'd even get there. So they'd leave after us and then get there before us. So it was all the porters. They did all the work. They had everything done for us, and they were super amazing. So, and hi, Lori. Thank you. You um, are yeah. a rock star. She Thank is a rock star. <laughs> How many folks climbed with you, Haley? Can you share it with David and Eric and the rest of our friends? Yeah, so we had eight <laughs> survivors total, and I believe it was uh, 47 of us. And then um, as a whole group of Team Courage Rising, and then plus 186 porters. So it was over 200 people and all eight survivors did make it to the summit so i think that just shows a lot of um how strong the survivors are and how it was great because a lot of us were all from valley wise so to take what we've endured at the hospital and bring it onto the mountain together and accomplish more such stuff there together it was super awesome that we can kind of share that and for a great cause that's awesome Yes, absolutely. So we're super excited for the new Arizona Burn Center 2023. They're putting exceptional work into it so survivors can have everything possibly accessible to them during their recovery and for their families too, which I think is huge because as a survivor, I mean, like you go through a lot yourself, but your family members are also struggling mentally, emotionally, so on and so forth. So I think it's going to be super, I'm super excited. And Eric, we and, and David, we didn't really talk about that, but I think we're great. That's something that like family members are just as much impacted by these injuries um, as our survivors. And I'm sure you see that too. Is, is Am I wrong in saying that? Or maybe in some cases, you're the one, you contact them first, right? So. The, the huge part of, of all of our cases, and, <laughs> and you hit it right on the head. I mean, it's almost always a family member that's our initial point of contact. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had many, many clients that... Um, you know, we didn't meet them uh, until 
weeks uh, or longer into their recovery because they're not able to, to even talk to us because they're in you know an acute phase. And so, yes, we, we, we are almost always dealing with family members. And even if we're not dealing with them initially, they're certainly part of everything going forward because they're impacted by all of this too. Mm-hmm. Well, as we wrap up here, I first and foremost want to thank both of you for joining us because I know um, the work that you're doing each and every day for survivors is so greatly appreciated. And we thank you for being a member of our community. I know um, our State of the Survivor report that was just released, which is on our website, did talk about how survivors are asking for support from legal counsel. So to have your team available um, for survivors, among the others that we have on our website, we greatly, greatly appreciate the support. Um, And so once again, to contact Pritzker Hagman, we will um, put all of that information in the show notes. Um, But we do highly recommend you download our guide as well, because that's a super awesome resource. And so before we close out today, I just want to thank Thank the Pritzker Hagman team, because if it were not for you, the Girls with Graphs uh, podcast would not be uh, really be able to have happened. And Mm -hmm. we reached number eight on the podcast charts just a couple of weeks ago, which is huge for for the podcast. Woo-hoo. So I want to, want to, yes, want to thank you guys for that. Um, and, and I want to thank Haley for joining us because Rachel was not able to be here, but she sends her love. And last but not least, the Pritzker Hagman burn injury legal team. I'm going to read it today too. Um, it helps the burn survivors and their loved ones pursue compensation and justice throughout the United States. So if you have the legal questions, these attorneys, David, Eric, and the rest of the team at Pritzker Hagman are ready to help. So you can find out more at legal legaljourney.guide. David, Eric, any last final thoughts before we close out our podcast today? No, not for me. Thank you so much for having us. It was uh, really a privilege to be here and um, best of luck to you guys with the podcast going forward. We're, uh, like I said, we're big fans. Thank you. We'll have to get you some of our swag. So now in our swag shop, we have girls with graphs, um, sweatshirts available. So you'll have to check out our store. Um, We'll put that in our podcast notes as well. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Grafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.